give him praise. Put them hands together. Hallelujah. Can I hear a shout of hallelujah in this place tonight? Yes. Wow. What a wonderful congregation for a Wednesday night. Give the Lord praise for everybody coming out on a Wednesday night. Amen. You may be seated this tonight. Uh, it's so good to see all of you here throughout our building. We have a, probably a little over 300 people here, which not tonight because all of our teenagers are in youth camp, but we got a big group of them gone. We want to be praying for them to have wonderful services and connect with the Lord. And, and sometimes they get away from their element, get away from all the hindrances, and they have blowouts at these youth camps. So we want all of our teenagers to be blessed. I think with the, with the workers and everything, Mallory took over 90 people last week to ch children's camp. Can you give the Lord praise for that? Wow, she's blowing it out. We love Mallory. And Josh, he's been, uh, we, we've moved him already once or twice, and he's in a big room now, and he's already maxing it out on Wednesday nights. So, uh, wow, our college and career has just taken off under him, and, we're just, and the discipleship class up there, just a wonderful thing but we're here for a time of prayer and those of you that do have an offering or you have your tithes or a pledge or whatever you can give it in the back on your way out in the our our uh, giving our boxes or you can go online or you can mail it or you can call us we'll come by and get it and if you want us to we'll open the purse and grab it <laughs> I'm just joking okay uh, but tonight is a want to be a wonderful time of prayer as a pastor, I just want to exhort you and thank you. Uh, it's been a hard road for me as a pastor to do away with our discipleship training that we've done for 30-some years. Actually, we've done that on Wednesday nights. I preached many, many Wednesday nights for several years, and then we got help, and we'd uh, go back in and out. And finally, I just kind of drifted out and let other people do their callings. And uh, But to stop the regular, traditional thing that we always have done it was very difficult for me because I knew that when you go into a time of prayer prayer is hard it is it is a discipline anybody that don't think prayer is a discipline just try it a little bit and you'll find out there are times you get down and it's just like Kevin kisses you and other times you wrestle and and let me just say this the times that you just get down and honey drops on you and the times when you get down and you wrestle, both times God's there to hear. It ain't about feeling. It's about your discipline and your faithfulness to prayer. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And we don't, and we don't receive also because we ask a myth a lot of time. We don't ask the will of God to be done. But I want to tell you the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. And if there's ever a time that our country needs prayer, it's now. Folks, we're the only thing holding back the forces of evil. We are the restrainer that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about. We are the one that's holding back, pushing back. You take the church out of the way, and this country's lost forever. And let me tell you, when the rapture takes place, you're going to see what all hell's all about. Amen? Because the restraining force is gone. And um, those of you that are here, I want to encourage you that when you get down and you start praying, don't give up. And it may seem like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming right back down. It may seem like the heavens are brass. It may seem like nothing's happening. But I want to tell you, God promised me a long time ago when I was a young lad. I'm a very emotional type guy. I got a sanguine and a choric personality mixed when I take the personality test. And the sanguine's the life of the party. He's the guy that he's all strung out. You know, he's the guy that's real loud and talkative and and expressive and the chloric's the one that drives and has passion well i got a mixture of all that bottled up inside of me and sometimes when god doesn't move in those ways i have a hard time and one night i was praying i said god where are you at and he said the moment you whispered my name i was there the moment i just approached him he was there he said when you draw nigh to me i draw nigh to you immediately when peter was walking on the water and he began to sink and he said, oh, Lord, you know what I love? It says, and immediately, immediately, Jesus took his hand and lifted him up. I'm about, to, I'd like to preach tonight. Is that all right? Hang on, Susan, you'll get your time, amen? I feel the Holy Spirit here tonight. Our, 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 our nation's in crisis. 
And I want to tell you, if there's ever a time that people are being seduced with all kinds of seductions and all kinds of evilness, it's today that we live in. And we got to be alert. We got to be wise. We got to be sober. We got to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm here to tell you that God wants us to become like the men of Ishakar, that we know the signs of our time. We know what to do during this hour. We got to pray. We got to believe. We got to seek. I don't know about you, but I believe my prayers are making a difference. I don't know. It may seem like evil is running rampant, and there's not a thing that we can do about it. I hear people say this all the time. They'll say, well, what will be, will be. There's nothing we can do about it. That's a lie from the pits of hell. I'm here to tell you, yes, the end time's going to unfold just like Jesus says it's going to. Yes, the prophetic word is going to come true. And yes, those things are going to happen. But let me stop and say this. Everything don't have to happen on our watch. Can I have an amen? Some things are only going to happen when the restrainer's gone. Amen. When he, he will let until he be taken out of the way. A lot of people say, well, that's the Holy Spirit being taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit cannot be taken out of the way. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's going to be here during the tribulation period because people are going to be saved and no one can be saved unless the Holy Spirit's here to draw them to Christ. Can I have an amen? That he is the body of Christ, the church. Hey, woo! Somebody get in this thing with me just for a minute. I'm just exhorting you because I want you when it's time to pray, whatever's uh, been laid upon Susan's heart, when she gets done and we pray, believe. If you believe, you shall have the things in which you ask. It ain't about what you feel. It ain't about how he manifests himself. Sometimes he manifests himself wonderfully and amazingly. Other times, he's quiet. Other times, you don't even know he's around. The prophet looked, through, looked for him in a whirlwind, couldn't find him. He looked, through, looked for him and the rocks rending, couldn't find him. Looked through him and the lightning and the shaking, him, couldn't find him. But where did he find him? In that still small voice. He's here tonight, folks. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's here. Look at somebody say, God's here. Do you believe that? How many believes that Susan Tidwell's an anointed woman of God? Amen. She's going to have a word for us. I know her. I know how she studies. I know how she prepares. She's a great preacher. If you don't ask me, ask her husband. She preaches to him all the time. Come on, Susan. Take your liberty tonight. Hallelujah. Give her a hand. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in his house. You know, there's sometimes that you get up here and it's like, you know, do the, does the word I have, is it really what you want me to do, God. It just doesn't seem like it's big enough. God, and, you know, I, I just, it's doubt in my heart. But I want to tell you, if I've ever had confirmation, it's been through our pastor tonight. Because I'm going to talk about Peter walking on the water and faith. So that was confirmation to me. And my prayer is that this just not be any message, but it's one that you will take and that you will use in your life and that your faith would grow during these times that we live in and you would be strengthened in the word of the Lord tonight. I don't want to come in and sit in and hear and not take in what he has to say to me. God wants to speak to us. God wants us to hear him. God wants us to believe in him. God wants us to have faith in him in the good times, in the bad times, and in the in-between. So tonight, I'm going to talk about storms, storms in our life. Have any of you ever experienced a storm in your life? Maybe tonight that you're going through a storm right now, and I'm just going to throw everything to the side. If during what I am speaking, the Lord speaks to you and says for you to get down here and pray, you get down here and pray. Don't you wait. We will have prayer because I want to do what God wants me to do tonight. I want to follow his leading. I want to follow his direction and only his direction. So I want to tell you that there are two types of storms that we face. The first one 
is called a natural storm. So such as thunderstorms, hurricanes, tornadoes, they're violent disturbances of the atmosphere that have low barometric pressure, cloud cover, precipitation, strong winds, and the possibility of lightning and thunder. So with natural storms, we can often sense they are coming by what? What we feel in the atmosphere, humidity, or it could just be a feeling. We all know, even the animals know when there are, is a storm that's coming. And even through technology today, we have warning when a natural storm is approaching and we take shelter. So they also, for the most part, pass through and are quickly over. On the other hand, spiritual storms, although similar to the natural storms, are unpredictable, untraceable. They bring devastation events without a warning. A spiritual storm's intensity and length may last much longer than a natural storm. How many know that? Amen. Our spiritual storms may cause us to what? To fear. Fear in our hearts, consume our minds, cause us physical sickness or emotional distress. Spiritual storms test our faith. And spiritual storms also make us question even the believer that's been and believed in God all of their life. God, are you here? God, are you going to intervene? I don't see anything. All I see is the storm around me. All I see is the effects of the storm. So let me give you an example of fear during a storm. As many of you know, I lived with my grandmother on and off during my life till I was about 15 years old and then I moved in with her full time. And one thing that she was passionate about was the weather. She was terrified of storms and caused me to have fear as well. So every night, at 5 p.m., and I, you may not know this weather station, but they used to call it KSDK Channel 5, and it was out of St. Louis. We faithfully watched Dave Murray, the weatherman. Now, some of this with my grandmother is because she thought he was so cute, but the other part of it was her obsession and her fear of storms. So this became our nightly routine. Sitting in front of the television, waiting for the next storm to come. Now, we had a storm cellar. She had one put in before I moved in with her. She lived in a trailer. It was on a hillside, and it sloped just like this all the way down. Well, she had a storm cellar put about, I would say, 300, 400 feet from her trailer. So you had to go outside in the storm to get to the storm cellar. So when Dave said that there was a, call, a storm coming, preparations began. For me, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I started cramming anything and everything of value into my purse, jewelry, money, things that were of value to me, that anything that I could put in there that would fit. The second thing that was on the list was I laid out my clothes. I laid out my shoes that if there was a storm during the night that I could just put them on quickly. So when the storm arrived, I heard my grandma turning on the TV for the alerts. And when the TV said, take shelter, and the sirens in town started off, my heart would often pound. And those words, take shelter, and the alert sounds paralyzed me sometimes. 
to the point that I couldn't even get up to do what I know that I needed to do. So when she said, let's go, we started to the storm cellar. One night, there was just as a side note, and how dangerous going to this storm cellar is, it was raining, the wind was blowing, there was hail, and we were headed to the cellar. She got to the cellar first, but I was right behind her. My foot slipped because it had been raining in the mud, and I rode straight down that hill. And all the time, she was standing at the storm cellar. She didn't say, Susan, are you okay? Susan, get up here, hurry. She was standing at that door laughing at me because I had rolled down the hill. Often in our spiritual storms, we are paralyzed by fear and are focused on the sirens going off or the storm's intensity, and we are not able to hear God's voice or feel the peace that he wants to give to us during our storms. In the midst of our storms, we're told that peace should be ruling in our hearts. Colossians 3.15 says, to let us have the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Is peace ruling in your heart tonight? Peace is the freedom from disturbance. It's tranquility. And the Bible says it is the harmony and the calmness of the body, the mind, and the spirit. Trusting in a power and the grace of God. So none of us can completely understand God's peace. It can't be measured, and we do not know how extremely deep that it reaches to us in the storms of life. We often make assumption that peace is the absence of storms. And let me tell you tonight, that is not true. The peace of God is the presence of God, the calm in the midst of our storms. This kind of peace God is offering to us, knowing that when you feel his peace, then you know he is there. Three things you need to remember about the peace of God. Number one, God's peace is different and not of this world. John 14, 27 says, Jesus said to his disciples, but my peace I leave with you. I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Do we truly believe what the word of God says during our storms? Do we trust he's in control? Do we trust that he's there? Do we trust that he's going to answer? In order to have God's peace, you must have a relationship with him. The world can give you things, but this world cannot give you peace. So perfect peace is available when the heart keeps focused on God's promises, his word, his power, and his presence. So when you walk through a storm, you are not fearful of it overtaking you. Then you will experience what it means to have the peace of God. Second, God's peace is a defense. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, the peace that reassures the heart, which transcends all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. God stands watch over our hearts in the same way a military guard stands watch so that you can remain calm and at peace in the midst of of any situation. Third, God's peace dwells within us. Second Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. 
for those who walk with him, regardless of life's circumstances, God will be your refuge. Many times we don't experience peace. It is because we focus on everything else going on and we forget who the God that we serve is. We forget about God's sovereignty. We forget about his authority. We forget about God's power. And we forget who we serve. We forget who is really in control, and that is God. Before peace can set up guard over our hearts, God gives us this responsibility to not be anxious about anything. How hard is that? So hard. But in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So this is how you get to the place of peace. When your storms lead you to anxiety and fear, then that same situation should lead you to prayer. This means you will trust him to bring you through the storm and bring peace and resolution. Do you trust him to do that in your storm? When you get to this place, his peace takes up residence in your heart. In other words, God's peace comes when you make an exchange and simply say to God, I'm giving you my anxieties and my worries. And when you make that exchange, God says, I will give you my peace. And this will guard your heart through every situation. Regardless of the storm around you, with his peace, you will not be moved and you will not be shaken. So I want to refer to some scripture in the books of Matthew and Mark. I'm not going to read them individually, but I'm just going to kind of summarize tonight. I want to talk about one specific storm and the miracle that happened. This storm totally convinced the disciples that Jesus was the Son of God when he showed his authority over the elements. This story begins at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just miraculously fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And the disciples had front row seats to Jesus' teaching and these miracles that happened on this day. This day must have been exciting to see what God did, how he provided, and the message that he brought forth to the people. But as well, it was probably physically and emotionally draining for Jesus. And he told his disciples that he needed some time to be alone to pray. So up to this point, Jesus had been teaching the disciples by what he said and by what he did. But now he was going to give them a practical test to see how much that they had really learned. How many of you like testing in your life? I don't. <laughs> so he told the disciples to get in the boat and to go ahead without him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is in the lower portion of the Jordan Valley, and it's also called the Lake Tiberias in Israel. It is in mountain range. It rises 4,000 feet above sea level. The sea itself is 700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 13 miles wide, seven miles across, and 150 feet deep. And it is the lowest freshwater lake on earth and the second lowest lake in the world. It is the largest supply of drinking water to Israel. 
This area was known for extremely violent storms caused by cold air rushing down the mountains and surrounding it. Then the cold air collides with the warm, moist air rising off the surface of the water itself. And what does this do? This makes for the perfect storm. So during the darkness of this evening, they were going to Capernaum. And they had rolled out three and a half miles, two hours of sailing time, when a dangerous storm with strong wind, with heavy rain and hail, made the water rough, overtaking their boat in the middle of the sea. The disciples struggled to make any headway to their destination, and even with them being experienced fishermen. Mark 6, 48 says that Jesus saw the disciples struggling. And this is the first time that I read this. This is so amazing. Now, when you get into the Word, sometimes God, and often to me, just reveals things to me that I have never seen before. Mark 6, 48 says Jesus saw the disciples struggling. He saw them struggling. Because of the wind, and shortly before dawn, he went out to them. So why do you think that Jesus saw their struggle, but did not immediately go out to help them? He wanted them to trust him in their adversity. He wants you to trust him in your adversity. To, and to point to the point to them was that Jesus would be with them under any circumstance. So this was not a good night to be sailing on the sea and definitely not a peaceful situation. Mark 6:48 describes this event as a fierce, a violent storm, so much so that the waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. With hurricane-like winds and now having rowed for nine hours, they became totally exhausted. When you're fighting your storm, do you get to that point, God, I just can't, I can't go anymore? You're going to have to do something because... I can't do anything else. The word violent comes from the Greek word seismos, where we get the word earthquake from. So, sea was like it was shaking. It was the fourth watch between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. of the night, and Jesus came toward the disciples, walked on the sea, and he approached the boat. And they were terrified, and they cried out, It's a ghost! And Jesus said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. So because of the intensity of the storm, and because it was the middle of the night, the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus who was walking on the water toward him. Jesus was walking toward their storm that they thought was going to take them down. But when Jesus spoke, it is I, do not be afraid. The disciples recognized it was Jesus by his voice. In your storm, you may not know that he's walking towards you and you need to be able to listen and recognize the voice of the Lord. Then Peter answered to him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus told Peter to come. So Peter climbed out of the boat and begins to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the effects of the wind and the waves, he was frightened and took his eyes off of Jesus. 
What happened then? He began to sink and he cried out for the Lord to save him. And immediately Jesus extended his hand and grabbed Peter saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind ceased and the disciples worshiped him, which should be our response. So I want to show a short clip here to, that kind of describes what happened during this storm. Go ahead, Steve. Can we turn it up a little bit? on me. 
I'm here. I'm always here. Can I tell you tonight that whatever storm you have experienced, you're experiencing that Jesus is always with you in your storm. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So at the end of this video, when Jesus reached down his hand to save Peter from drowning, I'm telling you, this really ministered to me to get a visual picture that in my storms, when I am sinking, when I am drowning, when I call out to him that he extends his hand to pull me out, that is so. He is always there, and he will never let me go, and he will never let you go. I heard this story taught many times over the years in sermons, in teaching how Jesus commanded the storm to be still and the wind ceased. Even in this video, he said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. But I want to tell you tonight, I found something when looking in the Bible and studying for this, that in the Bible of Matthew, Mark, and John, they're the only gospels that speaks about the storm and Jesus walking on water. But none of these say that Jesus verbally commanded the storm and the winds to stop. Matthew 14, 32 says, Jesus says when he climbed into the boat that the winds cease. Mark 6, 51 says that he climbed in the boat with him and the wind died down. John 6 and 21 says only they were eager to let him in the boat. And I want to tell you that the Lord spoke this to me so clearly. Without one word spoken, Jesus only has to step into your boat, to step into your situation, to step into your worries, 
to step into your anxiety, to step into your fear, to step into your hopelessness, or to step into whatever storm that you're going through. And when he steps in your boat, when the winds have to cease, when your faith meets Jesus stepping in to your boat. So why is it that all Jesus has to do is step into and not speak verbally into our storm? Because he holds all, all authority and power. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the great I am. And I'm reminded of that old song, and I wasn't going to do this, but I feel like that I should do this, so I'm going to. And it goes like this. When he reaches down his hands, billows cease at his command. Winds and waves obey his will. When he says to them, be still. What kind of man is this? They all did say that the winds and seas obey. He's the one who sails with me. He's the master of the sea. Oh, when he reaches down his hand, billows cease at his command. Winds and waves obey his will. Yes, when he says to them, be still. What kind of man is this? They all did say that the wind and the seas obey. Yes, he's the one who sails with me. Oh, he's the master of the sea. Let me ask you, is there anyone here going through a storm and you feel like that you're going down for the count? Here's what I have to say to you tonight. Stand in faith and Jesus will step into your boat. Jesus knows right where you are and he wants to give you peace in your storm. And if you need this peace tonight, I meant what I said and you feel like you need to pray, you come on down and we're going to stop and have prayer. He wants to give you peace in your storm. Peace and faith go hand in hand. Without faith, you cannot have peace. And when Peter had faith, he also had peace knowing that Jesus called him to walk on water. But he took his eyes off of Jesus. Doubt and fear took over and he sank, would somebody come up here and pray? This also happens to us. In John 16 and 33 in the Amplified Bible, I have told you these things that in me that you may have peace and confidence. In the world, you will have tribulation. There's no getting around it. You're going to have trials. You're going to have distress. You're going to have frustration. But be of good cheer to take courage, be confident and certain. For he has overcome the world. Nothing can harm you because God's already conquered it for you. There's some things I want you to know about storms tonight. First is storms are or could be a test. Every person here has a storm, what they say, theology 
A storm theology, theology is what you believe about God when storms come into you li- your life. Is he still good even if he has allowed a storm in your life? Is he? Your storm has, to, has the ability to bring the, to the surface what's really going on inside of you. Storms will reveal to you whether you live by fear or that you live by faith. Our faith is always tested. It's not enough for us to merely learn the lesson. We must be able to apply faith. God allows trials, difficulties, and storms to come into our lives. Storms are the tests And let me tell you, not only are they a test, they are an opportunity to demonstrate your trust in God. Mark 4 and 35 says, when Jesus got in the boat, he said, now let's cross over to the other side of the sea. On the backside, before the storm, Jesus had performed miracles. He had confronted the Pharisees. He had taught about the kingdom of God, and the crowds were growing, growing, and everything was good. The disciples' faith in Jesus was easy here. Yet later, on the other side, there would be testing in a storm. On the back side, before the storm, let me tell you, is good health. Could be sickness. How will you respond? Many times during your life, your faith is going to be tested. Second, storms can happen suddenly. That's the way of life. In one moment, you're doing fine, and the next, the bottom. That. Just one phone call, and you find yourself. In the middle of a storm, just one doctor's visit, and you find yourself in the middle of a storm. Just one conversation, and you're in a storm. Job was praying to God in Job 14 and 1, and he mentioned how life is full of trouble. And then Jesus said in John 16, 33, Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows. Storms are a reality in life. Expect them. Be prepared for them. Prepare your faith for them. Storms will test and reveal your faith and your spiritual maturity. Third, storms can cause you to doubt God. The disciples were thinking they were about to die. And where was Jesus? Their doubt caused panic. To have faith is not to doubt. Fourth, storms teach you about God. Jesus had just demonstrated his authority over nature itself, and the disciples were beginning to learn more about who this Jesus really is. They had never seen such a display of power before. Listen carefully. When you're in trouble in the middle of a storm and it is there that God can demonstrate who he is very clearly. There are a lot of lessons we learn about God in the middle of a storm. In the middle of the storm is where we grow. In the middle of a storm, that's where our faith grows. Six storms will stretch your faith. Mark 4 and 41 says during the storm, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Up to this point, his disciples knew Jesus was a special and unique, he was special and unique and that God was working through him. However, this event started a shifting in their thinking about who Jesus really is. And here is the reality. You're either headed into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of one. 
one of the three. Learn from your storms and let God teach you something about himself and about you and about the storms of life. See the storms as an opportunity for God to display who he is and know that you can trust him. He will never leave you or forsake you in your storm. And how do I know that? That's what his word says. And I stand upon the word of God. It has never failed me yet. He will never fail me. And he has not, even through some of the most testing storms in my own personal life, he has never left me or forsaken me. But through the storm, I grew stronger. Through the storm, my faith grew stronger in him. When you come out of a storm, you won't be the same person that walked in. That's what the storm is all about. You will see Jesus differently, and you will see yourself differently. There are some things you can only learn about in a storm. And finally, as I close, remember that not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear a path. Some storms help you see some things more clearly. It's God working in you. Storms are not always a bad thing. So, Danny, if you would start the, the music, the first thing I want to do before you find a place and pray, if anyone here, we've already had one person come down, if you're experiencing a storm in your life and you need prayer, I want you to make your way down 